0: So we're working our way through 1 John, we're in chapter 3, and today we're going to look at 1 John chapter 3, verses 4 through 9. So we're going to take it in small chunks, kind of as it comes. So follow with me, 1 John chapter 3, beginning in verse 4. Whoever commits sin also commits lawlessness and sin is lawlessness. And you know that he was manifested to take away our sins and in him there is no sin. Whoever abides in him does not sin. Whoever sins has neither seen him nor known him. Little children, let no one deceive you He who practices righteousness is righteous, just as he is righteous. He who sins is of the devil, for the devil has sinned from the beginning. And for this purpose, the Son of God was manifested that he might destroy the works of the devil. Whoever has been born of God does not sin, for his seed remains in him, and he cannot sin because he has been born of God. Well, Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for this gospel. Lord, let it be life to us. Let this gospel pierce our hearts. Let it break down the walls and the barriers that would hinder us. Let this gospel transform us. Let it change us. That we would be conform to the image of the son of glory we ask this lord in jesus name amen all right so these verses chapter 3 verses 4 through 9 we need to uh, i want to take some time and look carefully at what the scripture is communicating to us there's a way that we can read this and we can misunderstand what it's saying There's a way we can read this and and it is exactly what it says. Sin is not compatible with the believer. And this is true. If if you are in Christ, when a person is born again, there is a change that must take place in their life. And that change is is not a change that you make happen. So, it's not that you're born again and now God is waiting to see whether you're going to change or not. By the very nature of the new birth. So think about what the Bible teaches us. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. If any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. All things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Now all things are of God. That speaks of a literal, real change that has taken place in the very core of our being. And if that change has taken place in the core of our being, if we have indeed become new creations, then that change will be manifest in our life. It must be. This is why Paul writes in his letter to the Galatians, Uncircumcision circumcision or uncircumcision do not matter. The only thing that matters is a new creation. Paul says we can make all the changes we want on the outside. We can dress differently. We can act differently. We can do all these things. But if there has not been something happened on the inside of us, those are empty But here's the reverse of that. Here's the truth. If something has happened on the inside of us, then something is going to be manifest on the outside through our lives. If we have truly been changed by God, then we must demonstrate that change in our lives. This is what John is writing about here. Now, we began this... As we begin our journey through First John, and we see that John has been talking about love, and he, he reduces all this down in, in very practical ways that, that are really, it's impossible for us to miss. It's impossible for us to not be able to understand what is being communicated here. And he says very simply, he said, if you don't love your brother, he said, then the love of God's not in you. It's impossible for you to truly be a born again child of God and have hatred in your heart towards your brother. If you hate your brother, then that indicates there is something that has not happened inside of you. And if something has happened inside of you, that's going to translate into your ability, and ultimately your obedience in loving your brother. And so we come to chapter 3, verse 4, and John writes, whoever commits sin also commits lawlessness, and sin is lawlessness. John is warning against making sin the practice of our life. For the believer, sin is something to be struggled against in our life, but sin is never to become the practice or the course that defines our life. As followers of Christ, the practice or the course of our life is to always be righteousness. The Greek word here that is in these verses that is translated, for instance, whoever commits So what might be helpful, maybe you can't do this, but maybe you might want to make a note of this. You know, it it is helpful if you come prepared to make notes sometimes. But you'll notice in these verses, for instance, the word commits. Whoever commits sin also commits lawlessness. Then the word in verse 7, he who practices righteousness... The word sin in verse 8, he who sins, all of these, if, if we could, if we were able to read Greek today, we'd look at the Greek text and we'd say that, we'd see that that word commit, that word practice, that word do or does. These English words are really the same Greek word translated into English to help us understand what's being communicated here. And these words are conveying, this word conveys the idea of making sin a consistent practice or a lifestyle. Whoever chooses sin as the practice and course of their life chooses lawlessness. There is a difference between having a struggle with sinful actions and sinful behaviors and giving yourself over to the practice of sin and a sinful lifestyle. There are some people, there are some theologies within the church, the greater church, that basically teach every time you sin, you lose your salvation, and you got to repent, and you got to get born again, again. I have pastor friends who firmly believe in their hearts, and they believe this is what the Bible teaches that if a man is driving down the road and he sees a, a beautiful woman and he looks at her with lust in his heart and in that moment he's hit by a car and killed instantly. If he didn't have time to repent before he died, he's going to go to hell because he committed the sin of adultery by lusting after that woman in his heart. A sinful action is not going to send you to hell. That's not what John is saying here but a sinful lifestyle will. Committing a sinful act or struggling with sin in your life is not going to send you to hell, but committing yourself and giving yourself over to a lifestyle of sin absolutely will. Because you can be born again and struggle with sin. I hope you do struggle with sin. Do you understand what I'm saying? I hope Sinfulness is something you struggle against in your life, and if you think this is what John wrote in his little letter, if you say that you have no sin, then you are a liar. If you think you have overcome sin and you no longer sin anymore, you need to go back to the book and read it and find out. You need to repent, confess your sin to God, and know that Jesus Christ will forgive you. So when I say as a believer, I hope you struggle against sin. I hope you recognize that sin is in you. It's all around you. It is something that we need to resist and struggle against because God has given us the ability to resist sin, to walk free from the bondage of sin and the condemnation of sin. I hope you as a believer will choose not to give yourself to a lifestyle of sin, but instead you will struggle against the sin that seeks to invade our life. Christ was manifested to take away our sin. In him, in Christ, there is no sin. Christ was made manifest and became the atoning sacrifice that took away our sin. He is the only atoning sacrifice because he alone is worthy to pay the price for sin. Why is Christ the only one worthy to take away our sin? Well, here's John says it right him. Right here, because in him there is no sin. In Christ, there is no sin. There is no original sin and there is no actual sin in Christ. He is the perfect, sinless Lamb of God. And through the cross, Christ has taken away our sin. Christ doesn't just cover our sin up and bury it so we can't see it. Christ takes away our sin. And this is why Christ was manifest to take away our sin. Through the cross, this is exactly what Jesus Christ has done. Sin is lawlessness. In Christ, by a new birth, we have been delivered from sin and death and lawlessness. In Christ, we are no longer in bondage to sin. Now, We are to reckon ourselves dead to sin. Paul writes this in Romans 6, 11, reckon yourself dead indeed to sin. And as we reckon ourselves dead indeed to sin, we are to walk in the newness of life in Christ. Now, as a new creation in Christ, sin no longer defines us. The life and righteousness of Christ now has become our identity in the Spirit. This is what Paul writes in Romans 6, 1 and 2. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Certainly not. God forbid. How shall we who died to sin live any longer in it? He goes on in verses 11 through 14 of Romans 6. Likewise, you also reckon yourselves to be dead indeed to sin, but alive to God in Jesus Christ our Lord. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body, that you should obey it in its lust. And do not present your members as instruments of unrighteousness to sin, but present yourselves to God as being alive From the dead and your members, that's your body, your members as instruments of righteousness to God, for sin shall not have dominion over you, for you are not under law, but under grace. Whoever abides in him does not sin. Whoever sins has neither seen him nor known him. Whoever abides in Christ does not sin. Those are John's words there. What does John mean by that? Does that mean that now that you have professed faith in Jesus Christ, that you can never sin anymore? You can never have a sinful thought. You can never commit a sinful action. Is that what John is saying? That's not what he's saying. Because if that's what he's saying, I'm lost. Because I don't know about you, but your pastor has sinful thoughts. Your pastor has sinful actions. Your pastor can lose his temper and become angry and sin. Your pastor is human. So I'm going to confess to you right now that if John is saying That whoever abides in Christ does not sin. The moment I sin, does that mean I am not abiding in Christ? That is not what he is saying. So what he's saying is consistent with what we began this with. Whoever commits or whoever practices a lifestyle of sin commits and practices lawlessness. Whoever abides in him does not sin. Whoever abides in Christ does not live in sin, does not give themselves up to a sinful way of life, does not consistently practice sinfulness as a way of life. We all are prone to commit sin, but we do not give ourselves up to a sinful lifestyle. We don't justify a sinful lifestyle. We don't make excuses for a sinful lifestyle. There is grace, but grace is there so that we don't have to continue in a sinful lifestyle. Grace doesn't mean we can excuse it and make excuses for it and justify it. Grace means God's not going to give us what we truly deserve because of our sin, and now he gives us the ability to walk free of it, so that's the power of repentance. You repent. You change the way you think. And when you change the way you think, you will change the way you live. We have the power to walk in the spirit and no longer fulfill the lust of the flesh. That's what Paul writes in Galatians 5.16. Walk in the spirit and you will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Whoever lives in sin and gives themselves up to, to a sinful course of life has neither seen him or known him. I can't confess with my mouth that I am a believer in Christ Jesus, a follower of Jesus, and then turn around and consistently live a life that is completely contrary to who Christ is. I can't do that. This is exactly what John meant when he says, if you confess with your mouth that you love God, but all you do is demonstrate hate for your brethren, the love of God is not in you. If you confess to be righteous, but yet your lifestyle is one of unrighteousness, then righteousness is not truly in you. So whoever lives in sin and gives themselves up to a sinful course of life has neither seen him or known him. That person who has given themselves up to a consistently sinful lifestyle has never seen Christ by the eye of faith, nor does that person know Christ by faith. A willful lifestyle of sin is contrary to the life of Christ. So John writes, little children, let no one deceive you. Now remember, this is why he's writing. We read this. He said, I'm writing these things to you so that you won't be deceived by those that are among you. Those people that are coming to you, telling you contrary things, I'm writing this to you so that you won't be deceived by them. This is exactly what he reaffirms right here in verse 7. Little children, let no one deceive you. He who practices righteousness is righteous just as he is righteous. So a lie that was prevalent in John's day taught that how we live and what we do in our bodies doesn't matter. What mattered was knowledge. Presenting your body a living sacrifice, living righteous and obedient before God was meaningless. According to these people that were perpetuating this lie. It doesn't matter what you do with your body. Have all the sex you want, uh, Have it with anybody you want. Have it with animals. Have it with humans. You can do whatever you want. You can drink as much as you want. You can drug as much as you want. You can be as unfaithful to your wife as you want. It doesn't matter because the body doesn't matter. The material universe doesn't matter. What matters is knowledge. What matters is this spiritual, invisible realm that, that this material universe is just hiding we're just waiting to get rid of all of this. So it doesn't really matter what you do in this body because the body doesn't matter. It's really all based on the knowledge you have. This secret knowledge that God gives. According to the Gnostics, the material, the material realm, the physical body, the acts committed in our bodies had no bearing on our righteousness. It is knowledge that is supreme. This is Gnosticism, a belief named after the Greek word for knowledge. The Greek word for knowledge is gnosis. So Gnostics were those who idolized knowledge above everything else. Acts of righteousness, living a righteous lifestyle in this body, wasn't important to them. So they were coming to the church and saying, listen, Jesus didn't come physically because if Jesus truly is the Christ, then he would know that this physical realm, this physical body doesn't really matter. Jesus wasn't raised bodily because he never came in a physical body to begin with. All of this doesn't really matter. What you do, how you live, what you do with your body, it makes no difference whatsoever. That was the lie. That's what John is writing about. And John is saying, listen, church, that is a lie. Little children, let no one deceive you. He who practices righteousness is righteous just as he is righteous. The Gnostics didn't believe that Jesus had come in the flesh. They didn't believe he rose bodily. The flesh, the body, and all that's associated with it in the material world did not matter to the Gnostic belief. Therefore, according to the Gnostics, a sinful lifestyle in the flesh has no impact on our righteousness before God. The Apostle John is warning the church that this is an absolute falsehood. It's a lie. Our practice of righteousness in the body does not make us righteous. Let me say that again, church. Your practicing righteousness in your body does not make you righteous. Our practice of righteousness in the body is the fruit of the Spirit dwelling in us because of the righteousness that has been given to us through faith in Jesus Christ. You don't... You don't become righteous by acting righteous because God has made you righteous by grace through faith. That righteousness that he put in you now must come out of you. It should be the fruit of your life. So you're not making yourself righteous. God has made you righteous. And if God made you righteous, then righteousness should be what defines your life. In other words, our righteous practice is not making us righteous in Christ. Our righteousness in Christ is making us practice righteousness. If God has placed his righteousness in us by his spirit, that righteous life of the spirit will manifest through us for the world around us to see and to experience. Listen, if you go outside and beat your dog every day in the morning and you come home in the afternoon and then try to convince your dog that you really love him, your dog's going to be a little skeptical, isn't he? Because your words (laughs) really don't mean much after the beating he just took that morning. You do that long enough and that dog will never, ever believe that you really love him. All he's going to know is that guy beats me every day he must hate me if we are righteous in Christ then righteousness must come out of us it's not just the words we speak it is what is manifest through us if we profess faith in Jesus Christ if we are indeed a new creation in Christ the practice of our life how we live in this body absolutely matters For he who practices righteousness is righteous just as he is righteous. Then John writes, he who sins, you can't read it in the Greek, but that whole phrase, he who sins right there, is that little Greek word. Which means our practice, what we consistently do. He who sins, in other words, he who sins consistently is of the devil. For the devil has sinned from the beginning. For this purpose, the Son of God was manifested that he might destroy the works of the devil. He who sins is of the devil. For the devil has sinned from the beginning. For this purpose, the Son of God was manifested that he might destroy the works of the devil. What John literally communicates here is that he who makes a practice of sin is of the devil. For the devil has sinned from the beginning and those who are of the devil will live consistent with that nature of sin. Who is of the devil? Who is of the devil? The answer is all those who have not been born of God. So we as humans like to divide the world up into lots of categories. It's like a scale from 1 to 5. You got the really bad, you got the somewhat bad, you got the ones that are neutral, then you got the pretty bad, then you got the really bad. That's not the way God looks at the world. That's the way we want to look at it, right? That was my that was my inherent default belief. Because I grew up believing in God. Not because someone taught me to believe in God. I just believed in him. But that's what I really thought. I thought my life was going to be like the scale from one to five. And I was surely going to fall beyond that neutral category so that the scale would tip over to that point, And God would say, ah, go ahead, you can come to heaven. Not because I was perfect. Not because I wasn't sinful. Because I enjoyed my sin. But I didn't view my sin as really anything so terrible that it could possibly, possibly keep me out of heaven. I mean, that is reserved for people who are murderers. You know, people like Adolf Hitler and Charles Manson and mass murderers and, and horrible people. I wasn't one of those. Surely God is going to let me go to heaven because I'm basically a good person. Uh, wrong that's not the way God sees the world. You are either in him or you are not. You are either light or you are darkness and there is no shades in between. Jesus said you're either for me or you are against me. We talked about this on Wednesday night in our study of the Proverbs. In God, there is no neutral. There's no neutral position with God. We are either a child of God Or we are a child of the devil period and what defines whether we are children of God is whether we have been born of God or as Jesus would say born again there is one who came born in this world but not born of this world The perfect seed promised since the beginning. God revealed this in his word spoken in the Garden of Eden. Genesis 3.15, I will put enmity between you and the woman. He's saying this to the serpent. Between your seed and her seed, he shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. The seed of the woman spoken of there was Jesus Christ who came and crushed the head of the serpent. On the cross, the serpent bruised his heel. Yes, Jesus really died on the cross, but he rose again the third day. Jesus affirmed again in John eight forty four 44, that there are those who are of their father, the devil. John eight forty four. 44, you are, he's talking to the Pharisees, the religious leaders of his day, the people who should know better because they studied the scripture and committed them to memory. Jesus said to those religious leaders, you are of your father, the devil, and the desires of your father you want to do. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own resources for he is a liar and the father of it. He who makes a practice of sin is of the devil doing what the devil has done from the beginning. He remains sinful and of his father the devil until he is born again. The children of God are those who have been born again from above through faith in the promised seed, the Lord Jesus Christ. It was the work of the devil that deceived man in the Garden of Eden. Though man bears the responsibility of his own sinful choice to rebel against God, it was the work of the devil that introduced the lie that led to the sinful fall of man. Now here is good news. The promise spoken by God in the Garden is fulfilled in Jesus Christ. We're not waiting for Genesis 3.15 to be fulfilled any longer. It was fulfilled when the incarnation, when, when Christ came, when he was born, as he lived, when he died, when he was buried and resurrected and ascended to the Father, he took away our sin, he destroyed the works of the devil. The promise spoken is fulfilled in Christ. He came for this purpose. The Son of God was manifested to destroy the works of the devil, and he absolutely and completely did that in the cross. Listen to the writer of Hebrews. Inasmuch then as the children have partaken of flesh and blood, He himself, speaking of Christ, he himself likewise shared in the same, that through death he might destroy him who had the power of death, that is the devil, and release those through fear of death who were, I'm sorry, and release those who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. That's you and I. That's you and me. We were subject to bondage through the fear of death because of sin that entered in. Listen to Paul in Colossians two thirteen through 15. And you being dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he... Christ has made alive together with him, having forgiven you all trespasses, having wiped out the handwriting of requirement that was against us, which was contrary to us, and he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it, where? To the cross. Having disarmed principalities and powers, he made a, publical, a public spectacle of them, Triumphing, triumphing, I'm sorry, I can't say that word. Somebody tell me. Triumphing over them in it. Thank you, I just need a little help there. Triumphing over them in it. In what? In the cross. He triumphed over Satan in the cross. He destroyed the works of the devil in the cross. Jesus came in the flesh. He died and through death he destroyed him who had the power of death, that is the devil. In his death and resurrection, Christ released those who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. Here is the good news. Jesus Christ has set us free from the law of sin and death. So Paul writes in Romans 8, 1 and 2, There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. Paul goes on and he writes in verse 9, If you belong to Christ, you are no longer in the flesh, but you are in the Spirit. The devil is called the accuser of the brethren. He has been disarmed for in Christ there is no accusation that can be leveled against us for our life is hid with Christ in God. Whoever has been born of God does not practice sin for his seed, that, that is the seed of God, the seed of Christ, remains in him and he cannot Practice sin because he has been born of God. Let me read you that verse 9 from another translation. Everyone that has been born from God does not go on doing sin because his seed remains in him and he is not able to go on sinning because he has been born of God. Whoever has been born of God does not sin, or rather does not make a practice of sin. Those born of God, those who have been regenerated or born from above, those who have been quickened by the grace of God and have Christ formed in them, having become partakers of the divine nature and a new creation in Christ, do not practice sin as a manner of life. The life of the believer should never be defined by sin, but by the righteousness of Christ. For when we have been born again, his seed remains in us. Whoever has been born of God has this assurance. That is the assurance of your salvation. The grace of the Spirit, the quickening of the gift of the Spirit and eternal life in Christ, the living word, The new nature or the new man born again of the Spirit and formed in us remains in us. You don't commit a sin. You don't have a sinful thought and lose your salvation and have to get saved again. That's trampling the blood of Jesus underfoot. That's saying that the sacrifice of Christ, the atonement of Christ was not sufficient the first time. No, when you commit a sin, when you think a sinful thought and you're convicted by the Holy Spirit, you're convicted to repent of that action or of that thought, to change your mind and to change your course of life. And that will always be the case because that seed remains in you. And so the Holy Spirit is not going to allow you to stay on a course of sinfulness. The Holy Spirit in you is not going to allow you to be defined by your sinfulness, it will work that out. That is the salvation Paul says you are to work out with fear and trembling because God is working in you to will and to do according to his good pleasure. And it is the good pleasure of God that your life manifest his life in his righteousness. Peter writes, having been born again, not of corruptible seed, but incorruptible through the word of God, which lives and abides forever. Having been born again of incorruptible seed, a new man with a new nature, we are not able to continue in a sinful course of life because we have been born of God. Those born again of the spirit do not continue to practice sin for his seed remains in us. And we are not able to go on in a course of sinning because we have been born of God. My prayer is that you come to know that you are born of God by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. That you would trust in Jesus and that you would know the assurance of His salvation. Amen. So I want to invite you to get ready to come to the table of the Lord. Here is your charge. In the believer, the Holy Spirit brings the conviction of sin. The Lord is our shepherd who leads his sheep in the paths of righteousness for his namesake. When we find ourselves off the path of righteousness, the Holy Spirit in us, in his grace, brings the conviction of our sin. It may be a gentle nudge as we read or hear his word. It may be a steady tugging at our heart, or it may be a crushing revelation that rends our heart and soul. But however God chooses to convict us of our sin, he does so as an act of grace. As a good father, he puts us on the path of righteousness, which is the way of life. We can find ourselves on a way leading to death, never having realized we were headed to destruction. The scripture teaches that there is a way that seems right to a man, but its end is death. It is the grace of God that reveals that way of death before we come to that end. God in his grace will not leave his children on a path leading to death. He will instead lead us in his way that leads to life. Jesus commands that we enter by the narrow gate. This is our charge from Jesus himself. Enter by the narrow gate for wide is the gate and broad and spacious is the way that leads to destruction. And there are many who go in by it because narrow is the gate and difficult is the way which leads to life. And there are few who find it. Sin has always been popular and widely accepted by the world, but it is still sin. If you have been born of God, you are no longer of the world. You are charged to live in his righteousness. That means the practice of your life is to be righteous and not sinful. As a new creation in Christ, you no longer walk in sin and death. You are no longer a child of the devil who was your father when you walked in darkness as a child of disobedience. Having been born of God, your life is now manifest. The righteous, the righteousness and the life of your father in heaven. If you have been born of the spirit, and Christ has become your life, you will manifest his life in the fruit of his spirit in this world. He who practices righteousness is righteous just as he is righteous. God charges us to walk, to live righteous as he is righteous. We do this for his glory and for a witness. Amen.